If you enjoyed these podcasts, check out Byron Reese's newest book. It's about artificial intelligence and covers all the topics addressed on Voices in AI. It's called The Fourth Age, Smart Robots, Conscious Computers, and the Future of Humanity, and it's available now wherever fine books are sold. This is Voices in AI brought to you by GigaOM. I'm Byron Reese. Today, I am so excited we have as our guest Kevin Kelly. You know, when I was writing the biography for Kevin, I didn't even know kind of where to start or where to end. He's perhaps best known for a quarter of a century ago, starting uh, Wired Magazine. But, but that, is, um, that is just one of many, many things on, a, on an amazing career. He writes, has written a number of books, uh, The New Rules for uh, a New Economy, What Technology Wants, uh, and most recently, The Inevitable, where he talks about, um, about the immediate future. I'm super excited to have him on the show. Welcome. Welcome, Kevin. It's a real delight to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So what is inevitable? There's a hard version and a soft version, and I kind of adhere to the soft version. The hard version is kind of total deterministic world in which uh, if we round, rewound the tape of life, it all unfolds exactly as it has, and we still have, you know, uh, Facebook and Twitter, and we have um, the same president and so forth. The 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 soft version is uh, to say that there are biases in uh, the world in biology as well as the, its extension into technology, and that these biases tend to shape some of the large forms that we see in the world, um, still leaving the particulars, the specifics, the species to be completely inherently unpredictable and um, stochastic and random. So, um, so that would say that uh, things like uh, you're going to find, you know, on any planet that has water, you'll find fish. That has life and water, you'll find fish or little things that um, if you rewound the tape of life, that you'll probably get um, flying animals again and again. Um, but you'll never, I mean, but, you know, a specific bird, a robin, is not inevitable. And the same thing in technology. So any planet that discovers electricity um, and, and makes wires will have telephones. Uh, so telephones are inevitable, but the iPhone is not. And the Internet's inevitable, but, you know, Google's not. And so AI is inevitable, but the particular variety or character, the specific species of AI is not. And that's what I mean by inevitable, that there are these um, biases that are built by the very nature of chemistry and physics that will tend to bend things in certain directions. And what are some examples of those that you discuss in your book? So um, the larger forms of, uh, so technology is basically an extension of the same forces that drive life. Um, and uh, we're, we're kind of accelerated evolution is what technology is. And so uh, if you ask the question about what are kind of the larger forces in, in uh, evolution, it's, uh, we have this movement towards complexity. We have a movement towards diversity. We have a movement towards specialization. We have a movement towards um, 
mutualism. And so those also are, are happening in technology, which means that um, all things being equal, technology will continue to become more and more complex. The idea that, that, that there's any kind of simplification going on technology is completely erroneous. There isn't. Um, it's not that the iPhone is any simpler. It's There's a maybe simple interface. It's like you have an egg. is a very simple interface, but inside is very complex. The insides of an iPhone continue to get more and more complicated. Um, so there's a, there's a drive that all things being equal, technology will be more complex, and then next year, they'll be more and more specialized. So the history of technology in photography was there was one camera, one kind of camera, and then there was a special kind of camera that you could do for high speed. Maybe there's another kind of camera that can do underwater. Maybe there's a kind that could do infrared. And that eventually, you know, we would do a high speed underwater infrared camera. So all these things become more and more specialized. And that's also going to be true about AI. We will have more and more specialized varieties of AI. So let's talk a little bit about it. Normally the question I kind of launch this with, and I've heard you discourse on it, is what is intelligence? And in what sense is AI artificial? Yes. So so, so the, the, the big the big hairy challenge uh, uh, for that question is we really, we humans collectively as a, as a, as a species at this point in time have no idea what intelligence really is. We think we know when we see it, but we don't really. And as we try to make artificial synthetic versions of it, we are again and again coming up to the realization that we we don't really know how it works and, and what it is. And their best guess right now is that there are many different sub routines, many different subtypes of cognition that collectively interact with each other and codependent on each other form the total output of our, of our minds. And of course, other animal minds. And so, um, so I think the best way to think of this is that we have a, a zoo of different types of cognition, different types of solving things, of, of, of learning, of being smart. Um, and those, that collection varies a little bit by person to person and a lot between different animals uh, in the natural world. And so, um, we were that, and that collection um, is still being mapped. And um, you know, we know that there's something like symbolic reasoning. We know that there's kind of deduct deductive logic. We know that there's something about spatial navigation as a kind of a of intelligence. We know that there's kind of mathematical type thinking. We know that there's um, emotional intelligence. We know that there's uh, perception and so far, um, all the AI that we have been wowed by in the last five years is really all a uh, synthesis of only one of those types of cognition, which is perception. So all the deep learning neural net stuff that we're doing is really just varieties of perception of perceiving patterns. And whether there's audio patterns or, or image patterns, that's really as far as we've gotten. But there's all these other types. And in fact, we don't even know 
what all the varieties of types of thinking. We don't know how we think. And I think one of the consequences of AI, trying to make AI, is that it's, the AI is going to be the microscope that we need to look into our minds to figure out how they work. So it's not just that we're creating an artificial mind. It's the fact that that creation, that process is the scope that we're going to use to discover what our minds are made of. You know, I, I get um, a fair number of AI folks on here, and, and when I ask them how much they're inspired by biology when they're thinking about AI, it actually isn't all that much. So do you really think that uh, as we make better tools that we're somehow going to get um, profound insights into how we do what we do? Oh, I, I, absolutely. So, so, and, and it, I, I, I think inspired is, well, I mean, cause nor, you could say neural nets are inspired by the neurons. So, um, it, 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 you know, they're, they're, they're not in any way like neurons, but they're certainly inspired by the idea that you have this network of neurons that are, you know, uh, triggering each other and they have different weights and et cetera. So, so, so there is, there, it is inspired, but, there's a limit to that. And, and the analogy I would use is that we were inspired by nature to try to make a flying machine, to make humans fly. And all the initial attempts in the beginning used the same single mode that the four different types of flying that we have in insects in birds and bats and dinosaurs, which was flapping wings. And so, um, that just didn't, that didn't work. There was failure after failure. If we try to fly with flapping your wings and it wasn't until we made we synthesized an entirely new type of flying that's not really present on this planet until that time, which was fixed wing flight. So you strap a barn door to a propeller and then it flies. And so um, that so, so there was a wholly new type of flying in order for us to make artificial flying. And I think um, I think we'll do the same thing. I mean, there's no doubt that that airplanes were inspired by biology, and I think we will be inspired by these things. And we will be able to go back once we understand it and understand ourselves better for sure. We haven't gotten there, but I think that inspiration, it doesn't mean that we're going to imitate biology. Do you think that this is in any way iterative or let me, let me, let me say that a different way. We have these abilities. Humans have these abilities that we just don't know how to instantiate in machines. Like you can train a, a human with a data set of one, you know, show them one mythical whatever creature, and all of a sudden a human can spot that, you know, upside down, backwards, underwater, coated in peanut butter, all the rest. Um, and we do that really well. And we have all of these like cognitive abilities that, you know, we're not even, we're not even really anywhere with machines yet. Do you think that it's progressive or, or, do you think that it's the, the one trick you say we've learned around perception is like, great, good job with that. Now go back and start over and now try to figure out how emotional intelligence works because it has nothing to do with perception. Yeah, I, I, think, I think it is incremental and, and, and in this sense, in that part, uh, again, I, I wouldn't be surprised if um, to find out in the long trend of history, of, the history of science, that our advances, our discoveries in perception and neural nets and stuff led to, to the next step. In fact, we may even use in some ways 
the ability to do perceptions to help us create the next step. Just as, you know, once we then do the saw, the saw helped us make hammers and saws and hammers helped us make, um, you know, um, drill presses. And so there is, there, is, there is a sense in which this is a, a network that moves forward and that um, uh, each, each step in, enables and makes tools that will help us to do the, to, 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 to do, to do the next step. And so I think, um, yes, I think it will be incremental and that we are, that we are on a progressive movement and that e even um, knowing what not to do or what doesn't work um, from the previous um, discovery can help us go forward. So I think there is a progression, but I, but I, I would disagree with the kind of common idea that we're on a progression that is sort of exponential. And this is the, um, you know, this is the kind of the riff of the singularities is that, um, that um, AI is somehow following an exponential curve right now. And there's absolutely no evidence whatsoever for that that I have been able to find. It's absorbing input at an exponential rate in terms of the, you know, the number of processors or storage dedicated to this, but there's no sense in which the output, the, the smartness is increasing exponentially and part going, going back to the problem that we don't have any definitions or metrics for this. We have some things if you know, error rates approaching human level, uh, you know, er error rates de are decreasing to, to human levels, but that's, again, um, not really exponential um, uh, over the long term. So I think there is progress, and um, as, we ex as we develop and come to know and understand different types of cognition, we will make progress, but of course, this is this is like um, this is one of those instances where we're climbing a mountain, and we think we know how high the mountain is. But each time we go up a step higher, the mountain, we realize that the mountain is higher than we thought. Okay, and 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 so so there is a sense in which the summit is receding from us, because uh, um, because the higher up the mountain we go the higher we realize the mountain is. And so even though we are climbing up and maybe even accelerating our climb, um, the goal and, and the vista and the territory is becoming bigger. It, it, we realize it's bigger and bigger than we ever believed. And so there is a sense in which we're kind of almost going backwards. You know, we, we have these brains, uh, which presumably are the source of our cognition. And then those brains have a certain bundle of characteristics, capabilities that don't seem to be something an organ could do, like a sense of humor. You know, a liver, a liver doesn't have a sense of humor, maybe. Um, and we call that the mind. And I notice you, you always use the word mind and not brain. What, what, what distinction, if any, are you drawing there? And, and how, how do you think of the human mind as distinct from the brain? Yeah, so, so um, th th I think... You know, there's the the brain mind, you know, paradox as is, and and I think without uh, uh, I think all minds need some kind of brain. They they need a substrate. There's this idea that <coughs> computation, whatever it is, is uh, is disembodied is 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 really kind of wrong, and that's one of the reasons why I kind of disagree with the. the 
singularitan view that 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 you can kind of port mines the same mine in different substrates. It does that, that. It doesn't matter where you do your computation, and in fact, it does matter. Um, the Church-Turing hypothesis is that uh, computation is universal if you have infinite uh, tape and time. And um, the real world's computations have finite resources. And so once you have finite resources, the matrix, the substrate in which you do computation or which or the, brain, the, the kind of brain that you have will determine the kind of mind that you can have. And um, so, so there is, there is, there is a, 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 you know, a, a unity, a, um, you know, a dependency between those two. And um, I use mind also because I want to emphasize the fact that um, this is not a binary thing. There, there's a tendency in talking about AI to think of it like there's an AI or there's not. Um, that's there or it's not. There's human intelligence or it's not. Um, and none of this stuff is at all binary. There's continuums, gradations, and there's multiple dimensions to it. It's There's many different types of mind. There's many different types of consciousness. There's many different levels of consciousness. <clears throat> there's many different varieties of, of um, mindfulness. So I think that, um, you know, a bacteria has a mind to some extent or an awareness to some extent. Uh, so do grasshoppers. And um, we have to incorporate that continuum in our discussions. And if we do, I think we'll be a little bit ready, more prepared to just discover the things that we need to about the kind of levels of um, complexities of AI mind that we're, that we're interested in. And so you, you brought up consciousness, which is obviously our, um, the fact that we have an experience of the world as opposed to just measuring it. Right now, all a computer can do is measure temperature, but we can feel warmth. Is that something in your view that comes from the mind? And is that something that we'll be able to build a machine? Will we be able to build a conscious machine? So again, um, I would say that there already machines have some level of consciousness that is not a conscious machine. Um, just like uh, I believe there's consciousness in animals to various degrees and levels. Um, just like I think there's intelligence in animals to various degrees and uh, levels. And um, for some reason, when people talk, they, they think that there's only one that, you know, either you're conscious or you're not, and or you're intelligent or you're not. No, no, no. There, 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 are, there are many levels, and, and I think um, already things that we have made have some of those aspects of it. And as we continue to make them more complicated, we will make different varieties and different grades of that in, in the machines. And um, the best way I think of thinking about AIs, plural, is to think of them as alien beings, as alien things, alien animals, whatever it is. Because um, it's not as if, um, and so if there wasn't, if we detected or met an alien being on another planet, they could be conscious. They could be. Uh, they could have a high level of consciousness, high level of uh, complex intelligence, and be completely unlike us. 
and, and, and we would might have the difficulty of determining whether they were even conscious like us or not. And, and, the, and the answer is, is that they are, you know, it's a different kind of consciousness. They're going to have a different sense of humor. So, so the AIs, can, we can certainly program in humor, creativity to the machines. But the thing about them is that they're not going to be funny like us. They're going to be like alien funny. They're going to, they're going to, they're just going to have a different sense of humor. They're going to have a different sense of creativity. And that is a feature, not a bug because as we work with these machines that are creative, that are funny is, is that they're going to help us to think different and do things differently. And that is the engine of creation and wealth is doing things differently. And when we are connected to all other humans, 24 hours a day, all seven, eight billion of us all the time, it's going to be really hard to have a different idea to do something differently when we're connected all the time. And so having these alien beings that, that are funny in a different way and they're creative in a different way and they think in a different way, working with us will help us to um, be different. So one more question in consciousness and then I'll move past it. You say bacteria are to some degree in grasshoppers. Um, what about what about inanimate objects? What about plants? What about Gaia? Uh, are there are there things that you think have some amount of self awareness um, experience the world other than animals? Well, there's there's definitely a type of intelligence in plants, and there's the effect. I think there's a new documentary or a series or something that explores that i mean that that was a controversial thing to say it was kind of like a wild crazy that was crazy talk just even 30 years ago but there's been an increasingly decent body of academic and scholar scientific um, evidence about the of the variety of smartness we'll call it that it's in plants there's, there's a, there is a type of of intelligence and it's again it's on this spectrum and um, uh, and and all systems, I think, exhibit uh, various levels of this. And any and any complex, sufficiently complex system like Gaia, like the like the Earth, that tends to want to um, create these you know stable feedback loops and strange attractors, um, if it if it has any kind of learning feedback loops, it can exhibit certain types of smartness and so um yes and and i think what we're in the middle of or what we're at the beginning of doing is starting to map what the varieties of learning are what the varieties of smartness are what the varieties of intelligence are and we'll have a better vocabulary to kind of talk about this um than we do right now where we are kind of bound by the fact that that we're very parochial in our in our talk about intelligence because we think there's only one type which is a human kind of intelligence and and we tend to think of our own intelligence as the general purpose this is the kind of the the, the holy grail of the ai community is to make a um a general uh, an artificial general intelligence as if there is a general purpose intelligence and i think that's a very misguided idea. It's like saying, I want to make a general purpose organism. Any organism, by definition, has to be specific. You can't optimize everything in a, anything real. That's the engineering maxim is you cannot optimize everything. You always have to have trade-offs. That's, that's the first law of engineering. 
And so um, everything, including us and our minds, we have a very, very specialized kind of intelligence. Once we start to map all the kind of intelligences that we make, the zoo of intelligences that we're going to create, and if we have the fortune to interact with other intelligences around the galaxy, we will understand that human intelligence is way off in the corner. It's a very peculiar, weird, singular, um, you know, specific kind of you know, collection of, of, of intelligence. It's, it's not at all general. You know, another word uh, like intelligence that there's no agreed upon definition is life, uh, death for that matter. Do you, do you believe that these intelligent systems, like computers today, that have some amount of consciousness, do you believe that they're alive? Yeah, I think, I think life is another one of those continuums. I think that, um, you know, we have that there's a certain kind of life that viruses have. And that um, uh, bacterium have a more complex version of life, and that uh, as you become more complicated and sophisticated and more mutualistic and etc., that you have increasing different varieties of life. And and you could say that there's sort of more life in a primate than there is in a grasshopper. Um, but what you're really saying is that there's more complexity in that life that life is more complex that life is more um uh complicated that there's more levels of it that there's more varieties there's more sub varieties and so yes absolutely there are aspects of life that are already in machines the internet as a whole exhibits a high number of lifelike attributes that are also found in, you know, natural systems like the immune system. And so um, it's not an exaggeration at all to say that the internet has some life in it. Um, the question of whether it's alive or not, that is an arbitrary and I think misleading threshold that makes it binary and it's not binary. So help me understand something here. If, if, if human intelligence isn't general, uh, it's parochial. And if human life isn't anything that's particularly, like it, life exists on a continuum, and if consciousness isn't unique to humans, it exists on a continuum, what, if anything, is special or unique about humans? Well, what's unique about it is it's like um, the fact that the only way you'll ever have anything like us is to replicate our bodies and our tissues and everything else exactly like it. So there's not going to be anything like us in the universe that makes us unique. Well, you throw a deck of cards up in the air and it comes down, you know, and on, on the floor in some arrangement that's literally unique, but there's nothing right. special about it. Well, no, that, what's the difference? What do you mean by special? Well, I, I guess I would say it this way, which is we've, we've had this long claw up from savagery to civilization and along the way we invented something called human rights and the, the thesis is that there are things you cannot do to people no matter what because blank um, if all of a sudden there is no blank then it feels like this sort of expansive view of ah, oh, we're all conscious and we're not particularly in 
intelligent and we're all alive and it's all it's all good undermines the very basis for why we have human rights to begin with. Well, no, I think what we're going to do is we're going to continue to expand human rights into machines. And we understand that that everything that there are that the that rights are not just about humans. That, that that's you know like if we, if we met alien beings would we assume that they don't have uh rights just because well and and so and so uh, you know if 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 and so what we're doing what we're under, what we understand is that rights is not just about humans rights is is, is universal rights is about there's always corresponding rights and responsibilities all, first you can't talk about rights without responsibilities so so those are always linked and um, so we have responsibilities about the things that we make just as so they have rights and they have responsibilities. And so this, the, the, the thing, the, you know, there's nothing that would change religion or the ideas of, of, of spirituality or other things on this planet than to have contact with AI, I mean, EI, yeah, ETs, right, to, to, to um, have other beings, aliens coming, contacting us would change everything because – we would say, well, do you believe in God? You know, like, wh- where do your rights come from? How, how, how do our rights and your rights, you know, wh- where are we with this? And then if there was multiple civilizations that we contact, that would really completely radically radicalize our conception about our place in the universe because we realize, well, you know, there's all these other ones. There's millions of other species. Well, who knows when that will happen? But we can say for certain that we are going to, create on this planet artificial aliens and and they will do the same thing to us that having a visitor from another planet would do in terms of of having forcing us to understand that our whole concept of that the kind of dignity that we have is not because we're the only ones but in fact comes to the fact that we are one of many different varieties in the galaxy that's possible. And so um, I think this is a dethronement. Uh, this is part of this continuing, you know, there was the fourth, I think there was called the first fourth turning, where it was the dethronement of um, Copernicus, realizing that we're not, we're not at the center of the solar system, that we're actually on the edge. And then there was the dethronement that came from Darwin. We realized that we weren't at the top of the, the heap. We were just part of a radial expansion outward, that all things Every single species on the planet today is as evolved as humans. We've all undergone four billion years of evolution. So we're exactly, we thought that we're more highly evolved. We're just as evolved as the slime molds. And slime molds are just as evolved as, as us. And so that dethronement. And so AI is actually going to um, bring about another dethronement where we realize that our minds and consciousness are actually part of a larger possibility space and that the things that we, the, 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 the idea that we have of the kind of rights and dignity is something that's not unique about us, but it's actually embedded into the universe and that applies to all beings. So I'm, I'm still having a little trouble following that. If, if bacteria are as evolved as us, then why isn't using antibiotics a form of genocide? Like why isn't that morally reprehensible? Uh, say it again. Well, if if bacteria are as yeah. evolved as we are, and they right. some amount of consciousness, some amount of life, why isn't 
taking an antibiotic and wiping them out wholesale, uh, right? A, a kind of genocide. Well, yes. So, so it, it is a kind of genocide, and but but it doesn't it doesn't have the same meaning or consequences as um, uh, wiping out something that that has more complexity, that has more interdependencies, that has more consequences. And so, um, and 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 first of all, the the other thing about those uh, simpler kinds of life is that they. Um, there's less. What should say? There's there's less um, variation between them, so so they 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 work more as populations. And of course, we're not eliminating except for smallpox. Well, even that, we, we haven't eliminated them at all. We've just we just reduced their populations. And when we talk about those kinds of populations, the the differences between individuals is not very important. But when you have higher animals and you have more. Um, the, the, where a single individual of that species can have more consequences, then they have more standing as an individual. So we're not just concerned about populations there. We, we actually, the, the individual actually matters. And that's why when we come to primates and animals, they have <clears throat> more complicated beings. They're equally evolved, but they're not equally complex. We, we, some things are more complicated and have and have larger pools of interdependencies, and they make more of a difference in the world, and can make more of a difference. And therefore, we treat them differently. So I'm not saying that we treat everything the same; that every, all things are equal. Saying that everything is highly is equally evolved doesn't mean that they're equal. It's just that they're equally evolved. Right, but but again, when you're trying to say, okay, am I going to save the person or save uh, this colony of of bacteria inside of them? Right. Um, you, have to ask, you have to ask yourself, what are the consequences? Like, what difference? Right. Does it make? That's that's that's, that's not a moral question. Though. That's a that's simply uh, that's simply a question of 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 effects. But it sounded like you were saying that because we're more complicated and that complicated things have more, I'm going to use the phrase moral worth, uh, than less complicated things. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that that's, so, so we care about, say, monkeys, apes, more than we care about a, um, you know, a, a tiny fish. And why is that? Well, that, I think, well, is the question. Yeah, and then the reason is is because they're they have larger agency in the world. In the, in reality, they they the, the, those individuals have a much larger agency. The the, the 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 gorilla has much more agency in the world than that little fish does, and so therefore it has it has rights and responsibilities. It has consequences, and then we are paying attention to that and we are treating it with that concurrent degree of its agency. We, we are recognizing its agency and its ability to influence and change things. And, and, and we are, we're honoring that more than we, than the kind of um, influence or degree of matter that the little fish has. That's but still that seems to imply that an iPhone has more moral worth than a hammer. I think that's true. Hmm. And so at some point, when our machines get more complicated, the old trolley problem of do I you know, save the driver 
or 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 uh, you know save the passenger and run off a cliff, it all changes. It becomes right. uh, exactly. How in the world, of course, we're not going to damage a bumper on this incredibly complicated car just to save a person. No, we will, we, we, we will, we will have to work in to those equations, which, by the way, our, our paradoxes don't really have a good answer. We will have to work in the fact that some of these things that we made that have some degree of consciousness, that have some variety of consciousness, that have some degree, variety of intelligence, that have some variety of, of creativity, and it's like, well... Can we just turn them off? And I think we're going to have this question uh, that no. Some cases we'll say no, we can't. And um, or 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 they'll have other they'll have other you know priorities. And so so we'll say yes. Between if if there's if there's a if one of these has to uh, be turned off because they both can't use and there's limited electricity, whatever it is, um, which one will we? Favor. Well, we'll take the one that has more agency, that, that has more dependencies, that is in some ways um, more likely to create more options in the world. And so um, we do that all the time, and we will continue to do that. And, but now we will have an additional things to, to calculate into those equations um, because these things will be – we are designing them to make decisions, to, to have influence, and that's where we're going. We'll, we will give them – they're already – they – these types of uh, AI systems are already making decisions for us. We don't, we're often not aware of it, but they're making decisions about who gets mortgages or, or how long their probation is. And that will continue. They will continue. And as they have more and more agency, they will have corresponding uh, standing. And so we have to incorporate that into our decision, uh, you know, how we decide things ourselves. So last question uh, down this vein, you know, I, I hear what you're saying, but it doesn't feel like we would ever apply this, this kind of view that you're, that you're proposing or that you're offering within a single species. You wouldn't say this human is inherently has more worth because, you know, they have more standing or they have, uh, whatever they're more complex or, or whatever it is you would never say this human which and, and as you said a minute ago there's an enormous amount of variety within any two humans but we sort of believe they all have equal moral worth is that just an outdated an outdated notion or what i think i think um it, it, it's a very 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 profound and, and and fair question and i think that um uh I think this is I think this is a a belief that we have and I I think you're right I don't I don't see us changing that for a very very long time that um the the problem is is making those calculations are just impossible to 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 do in any um, what's the word I want? Unbiased way, and so um, we've agreed not to do that calculations about ourselves, and um, uh, and and I and I don't see any movement away from that. But I also don't see um, that necessarily um, preventing us from doing it to everybody else. Let me show all the things that we make. You liken AI to. Um 
electricity. And you say, just like back in the day, you, when you got electricity, you could take some tool you had and plug it into the wall. And all of a sudden, this electricity came through and it animated it. And, and you've likened AI to that. Um, I assume electricity and the Industrial Revolution are good things. Uh, do you think when you consider the future and this kind of AI enlivened world, is it, um, is it going to be as positive as the Industrial Revolution? It empowers people and raises standards of living and benefits everyone and all of that? Or, or is this, in its effect, going to be different? I think it's going to be even more beneficial than electricity has been. So, um, uh, you know, this, the first thing you have to kind of acknowledge is the reality of progress, that, that if you look at this in any scientific way and at, at the evidence, progress has been real. And um, it was electricity and many other things. But basically, you know, certainly since the, the advent of science in the last couple hundred years, um, the living, everything that we care about um, human life has, has gotten better. On average, on the global average, um, a few percent. And so um, there's undoubtedly been huge numbers of new problems that have been unleashed by the new technologies of the Industrial Revolution. And all the pro I think all the problems we have today are all technogenic. They've all been caused by the technologies of yesterday. And um, that would be kind of a sad state. But the thing is, is that um, it, the world is the better, but not by very much. It's just a few percent better. And when you look around the world, you see 49% of crap and harm and terrible stuff. And it looks, that's a lot. But we have 51% better. And so that 2% delta compounded over a year, that's civilization. Civilization is built on a very, very narrow, narrow delta. But that, that's all we need. And so, yes, I think there will be, I think 49% of AI is going to be terrible. It's going to be destructive. It's going to be um, toxic. But 51% will be great and good. And will unleash but that almost sounds like an, an article of faith. Like there's no scientific reason it has to be 49, 51 in its favor. It could right. be 51, 49 the other way. So why, well, do, you, why do you say that so confidently? Because of history. Because, because for the past, because of history, that's what it's been. It's been that ratio for, for, for hundreds and hundreds of years. Now, that could change. That could change tomorrow. But the, but the, the, the probability, that the, 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 the statistical probability is that it's not going to change. So, so, um, so, so my, my optimism comes from history. So... So do you think that the, that the worry some people have that AI is going to eat, eat all the jobs or it's going to destroy privacy or it's going to enable um, a low-cost warfare, uh, it's going to cheapen human life, you, you, do you think those, for the most part, are real? They're just counterbalanced by other things? Or, or would you take issue with some of those? I, I, I think they... they the fears are real, but I think they're misplaced. I don't think it's happening. In fact, all the evidence so far of, of how, what happens when you bring automation and AI into workplaces is that it doesn't uh, breed unemployment, that in fact, um, it changes the nature of, of work for most people. 
Um, certain there are obviously certain occupations we don't have. You know, buggy whip makers anymore. We don't have telephone operators. Um, you know, uh, putting plugging in different connections. So, so there are there are certainly going to be some types of occupations that will go away. But of course, and this is the argument in the past, has been we invented so many other new ones that 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 um, there was, you know, we have more jobs now than ever before. And I think I think the same thing will happen, but even more so with AI. And the 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 thing that you have to remember that I want to keep emphasizing is that AIs don't think like humans, and we value we humans value other humans so much. We like. That we like the sense of humor. We like jokes told by other humans. We like to be around other. We like the experience of other humans, and um, that's good news for us because um, uh, what robots and AIs are, are are very good at are things where efficiency and productivity matters, and that happens to be an area that humans don't really like to have in their jobs. They don't like to be doing things over and over again. So, as we learn how something is done, we will give it to the robots. And then that liberates us to play around and invent new things that we want and to have human experiences and hang out with our friends. And maybe we will, and, and that becomes an area that we were willing to pay. You know, the, the one area in our economy where there's rising prices in, in the sea of everything else becoming commodity are our experiences. And, you know, the, you have a meal cooked by a five-star chef or something and, and meet the chef. That's, that's what we're going to pay for. That's all very, very human. And so I think, um, I think uh, there'll be lots of tasks, a lot of tasks. And, and as we um, invent new things that we want, in the beginning, there's, we don't know what it is. And so it's discovery and it's, it's highly inefficient and uh, it's art, whatever it is. And then as we do it enough times, we understand how it works and then we give it to the, to the machines liberating us to do new things and basically the way i say it is that our the main job of humans is going to be to invent jobs for the robots and so um i think i think we will work with them in that way um and we will work with robots that are creative but only because they think differently than us and we will still prefer to hang out after work with other humans so so i think this is um i think there's a misplaced fear of, of this idea that they're going to that we're making artificial people um, that are smarter than humans, which is a meaningless thing. It doesn't have any meaning what smarter than human is, um, and they're all going to be different than human. Um, and so, uh, I, I think the total effect of this is going to be, um, you know. It's going to be not without problems. There'll be plenty of problems, but the net gain will be progress. Well, that's a great note to leave it on. My, my closing question is, is, is a short one, which is what are you working on now? What can we look forward to, to, to reading or experiencing of yours in the next year or two? Yeah, I'm working on um, looking at what comes after the web. And um, I think, I, ha I, think I, I see what it is. There's a bunch of people working on it. It has um, some clunky names right now. Um, the VCs are calling it the AR cloud. Um, uh, David Glertner 
wrote a book about it called The Mirror World. Um, Facebook wants to call it The Atlas. It's a, uh, a 3D spatial representation of the real world that is um, viewable by many different devices, including the magic glasses where you walk down the street and you can see this invisible uh, recreated world in 3Ds. So it's a 3D volumetric spatial representation of the actual world that's the digital twin of it that is going to be the place that all the information is about them these places and things are organized and it makes the rest of the world machine readable so the web made information machine readable you could apply algorithms and do searches stuff and that was the huge big platform of the web and everything is changes and the second one the second platform was this um, hyperlinking of all human behavior and humans and you had the social graph which is making human behavior machine readable for better or worse and now we're going to make the rest of the world machine readable um, and the rest of all the places and objects put into this world that's machine readable and there's a, it's like it's like a virtual map that's the size of the world is a one-to-one -one map and this is the same world that driving cars and robots will see this is this is when they look at the world this is the world they will see and um we'll be able to 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 see into it as well and it comes into our living room it's it's the entire this entire world that's digitized and spatially represented and that's the organizing principle because we're we're made we've evolved to be spatially the navigators and so um that is the next big platform after the web and mobile phones well, thank you so much for um, a wonderful show. Uh, I, I see people can follow you and keep up with what you're doing at kk.org. Uh, your latest book is The Inevitable, and it was, it was great, great fun having you on the show. Thank you. I really appreciate the invitation. Thanks for the great questions. If you enjoyed this episode of Voices in AI, please check out the other ones. And in addition, Byron Reese hosts another podcast about AI called The AI Minute. Every day, it's a minute or two of daily reflections about AI. It's available wherever you find your podcast of choice. And in addition, it's an Alexa skill. So it can be part of your flash briefing every day if you own an Alexa device.